Good afternoon, everybody. What's going on out there? Pete Davidson back with a fresh version of the Rotobomb podcast. Today's episode is going to be all about the draft plan. Uh, not going to get into any individual player takes. Well, I mean, obviously I've got like the attention span of a circus flea, so you never know when I'm going to go off on a tangent. But the idea here is to talk more about strategy. The Rotobon 500 is going to be updated every single day uh, from now until drafting season closes. It's mostly going to be minor stuff. Um, you know, today is probably going to be the last day of major shifting, you know, for what it's worth. Um, and look, probably one of the reasons I've held off doing a draft plan is because the draft board itself is moving so quickly. So, you know, try to understand that I'm making these adjustments for you guys, doing the best I can with it. Um, very rarely is a, you know, player move up or down the board going to change strategy. It's just changing the players that are in these zones that we want to hit. Okay. Um, and I had a couple people ask me why certain players were so far down the board. When you see a player that's down past his relevant area, um, that means he's probably currently hurt or for some reason I'm fading him off my board. Um, some recent examples of this, um, you know, I, uh, who's a good example? Um, Daryl Henderson, you know, who's now moving sort of back into the mix for me because he's back at practice. Um you know, for a while he was pretty much off my chart until I knew that he was trending better. So you'll see some guys who are sort of pulled down and it's like, wow, why is that guy so low? It probably just means I'm fading that player. Doesn't mean you have to. You may have a different take on that player. But that's generally what, that's the case when you see a guy who's moved like two or three rounds below his ADP. It means he's sort of out of my window uh, for what it's worth. Um, a couple things before we get in, before I start talking about the board itself. Um, I just want to, and look, for those of you who do this every year with me. Um, this will be sort of old hat, but I'm going to give you strategical analysis as we go through this podcast. You may know your league well enough. That's right. We're into the know your league phase. It's so important to know your league. You know, if you're in one of these leagues for 15 years, that means you've got scouting on every owner in that league. You probably know their ins, their outs, depending on your draft position. You can look to your left and say, hey, is this guy going to get back to me? Hey, you know what? The, the way these guys draft, you know, got a bunch of homers over here. He'll probably get back. It's really great to know the lay of the land. You can use it to your advantage. And you can use it to override what I'm telling you to do. Um, obviously, it's your team. You do whatever the hell you want. But knowing your league can help you when it, you know what people say hey I'm zigging because everybody's zagging you know and that's all well and good I'm a, I'm a guy who likes to zig when other people are zagging but you don't want to outsmart yourself either um, and I think the t I'm gonna get to that in a second with the top of this draft and and how I know some people are like yeah I'm gonna go receiver to zig while others are zagging okay but you better be better be prepared for what's going to happen to you in the following rounds that's sort of the thing um, so know your league. And, you know, if you don't know your league, ADP is your friend. You know, it, it, you know if you don't have actual scouting on the, on the individuals that you're drafting against, then you go generic, you pull the top-down view on the ADP, and you, you know, you, you scout the general population and you hope that your draft is somewhere, uh, you know, in that area in terms of their behavior. Um, so always use local ADP when you're using ADP. If you're, dra if you're drafting with a group of friends, my recommendation is to use Fantasy Pros ADP because they aggregate from more than one source, gives you a better, you know, mix. If you're going to a particular spot, you should be using their ADP. If you're drafting on Yahoo, you know, unless you know it's a league full of sharks, that everybody has their own list and nobody's using, you know, 
even then, I have seen people, because of who's available in the little dialogue window, you know, they, they won't scroll down far enough to see if one of their other targets is down there. You know, so often the ADP on a site is driven by the initial rankings, right? You will see guys on CBS that are 10 higher or lower than they are on ESPN, which is why if you're on ESPN, you should be using their ADP, right? If you're on CBS Sportsline, use their ADP. Now, when it comes to mocking, just sort of a quick little word to the wise, I will, if I remember, I'll try to include this. Uh, on the Rotobahn end of this. I mean, I drafted a team in a CBS mock the other night that was just, I mean, it was just a joke. It was a joke. And, it, and it's an indication that, and I like CBS. I'm not trying to bash CBS here. Um, you know, they, they, they run a reasonably good draft site. But um, I'm trying to pull this up right now. Hear me clicking there. Come on, screenshot. There we go. Um, just, I mean, just to give you an idea, this is a team I drafted last night on a CBS mock because I was messing around because I'm doing a draft in there later. And I said, like, yeah, I haven't really mocked with these guys yet. And a combination of their rankings being off, in my opinion, the room being exceedingly dumb. Um, and, you know, so there is two lessons to be learned here. But just the, the team I draft, Cam Newton is probably my weakness at quarterback. Uh, my running backs are Mixon, Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb. <laughs> Uh, and J.K. Dobbins. My receivers are Allen Robinson, A.J. Brown, A.J. Green, D.J. Shark. Um, I think I might even be missing somebody there. Um, you know, my tight end is George Kittle, and I've got Hawkinson on my bench. Uh, it's it's a joke. I mean, um, you know, everybody in this league was doing a lot of the stuff I was warning you guys about the other day, taking their defenses and their kickers before they've gotten their third or fourth receiver, all kinds of stupid stuff. But, you know, I, I put together a team here that's going to win 99% of the leagues you enter it. So this is not a place to mock. You're going to get false confidence. If you're going to mock, I would do it at Yahoo, ESPN, or on Fantasy Football Calculator. If you know another site that's good, God bless you. But don't mock on CBS. You're going to learn the wrong stuff. Um... And lastly, uh, you know, for those of you who are hands-on people, A, I appreciate you using my site when you're a hands-on kind of uh, GM, uh, but all the stuff is there. If you want to use my stuff as a base and then configure your own cheat sheets, absolutely do that. Uh, in today's 500 update, I mean, the, the CSV download's always there, so you guys could have been doing this, but I'll upload my document today so you can have the document itself, and then you can use it to build your own cheat sheets. Like, if you download my cheat sheets, and then you download the 500 document, then you can adjust the 500 document to the rankings you think are correct and remake your own cheat sheets uh, or... You know, a better idea would be to actually configure your own cheat sheets because mine are pretty rudimentary. Um, I didn't want to be like that place where if you print out my cheat sheets, you get like this fancy looking thing with the Rotobond logo on it. I, you know, I don't want to, I want you guys to make it look like you got your own stuff, not like, you, you know, you, you downloaded something or bought something. Um, anyway, I used to hate it when I would like go to a draft back when, I, when my daughter was like 18 months old and my son was four and I like I didn't have like literally 30 seconds to myself that year um and I went out and downloaded some stuff and I walked into a draft and it said like fantasy football index on it or something like that and everyone's like uh-oh pizza magazine drafter this year I mean I was more prepared than a magazine drafter but I was using their cheat sheet because I just didn't have time um Anyway, I didn't ever want to do that to somebody. Okay, tangent over. Um, so what we're going to do here is I'm going to do my sort of interpretation of the draft, sort of top down, uh, and we're, I'm going to go through the zones and rounds and sort of show you what I'm trying to do in each one. And I'm going to try to hit 
pivots in terms of why we might pivot at given points, who we might be pivoting to, and the cost of doing business differently at various points in the draft. Obviously, this is just suggestion stuff. I'm just want to make it clear. I'm not telling you guys what to do. I'm just making suggestions. Um, I know a lot of the people, um, and this is one, you know, it, I don't talk about, I try to talk about like my own ego and stuff like that. But one of the thing that makes me, one of the things that really makes me feel good about my site is when I get feedback from people who run their own sites, people who are really smart, people who I know are really good in the industry. Um, and I actually get more feedback from those guys than I get from you guys, to tell you the truth. Um, so um, for those of you who have feedback, positive or negative, please reach out. I always like to hear from you. Um, and, uh, you know, it's 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 always good to hear what's working. And it's good to know if, if anything that I'm saying to you guys isn't being received clearly. If I'm giving ambiguous information, please let me know so we can cut through that stuff. Uh, I love hearing from you all. Um, so let's get into this. Uh, we're going to start off with the first round. It's probably not going to take all that long. I think second, third, fourth, fifth, that stuff's going to take longer. Um, but hopefully this will be an hour or less. Um, and hopefully when you're done with this, you feel a little bit better about the whole process, the whole strategy, and you can start digging in and learning about the players and making your own adjustments and getting ready for your drafts. Because I know the bulk of people, everybody I've talked to said they're drafting late this year, which in, in a way is really good. Um, but that means that in the next seven days, a ton of people are going to be drafting. Uh, so I really want to get this stuff up to date now. So let's dig in. Giddy up. So to start, we're going to just sort of hit the first round. And when I say the first round, I really mean all the players who I think are viable options in the first round. And I think it's worth noting that, in my opinion, there are 19 players who could reasonably be selected in, in the top 12 spots. And probably a good time to just say, I'm talking about 12-team leagues. That's sort of the round number. Most of the people who talk to me are in 12-team leagues. Some of you are in 10 teams. Some of you are in 14. Probably more in 10 than 14. Um... You know, obviously, if you're in a 10-team league, stud players take on enhanced value. Um, going early on a quarterback might make just a teensy bit more sense, but not in the second round. Um, you know, 10-team leagues tend to have short benches, so you don't want to handcuff and stuff like that. You don't want to take backup kickers or backup quarterbacks, that kind of thing. But anyway, I see 19 players who are viable first-round options, okay? Obviously, that includes... My two top receivers, Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams. Um, and that also includes my top 13 running backs, um, right up to Joe Mixon, who is now at the bottom of that group. Not because I have soured on Mixon in any way. I, You know, look, I think the migraines are probably a bunch of bull. Um, and I think Mixon's still vi viable in the first round if you want to go there. I, you know, uh, Miles Sanders has risks now, um, although it sounds like it's a hamstring with him which is generally good news, but there's some re-injury risk there. Um, so be because Drake has had the foot thing, there's some slight concern. Because Sanders got the hamstring, there's some slight concern. Because Mixon's got this holdout, there's some slight concern. Dalvin also with the, you know, will he do anything to hold out? You know, we got some slight concerns with all these people. Kamara as well. Um, so I've, you know, softened my sort of stances on those players a little bit. But really... You know, once I get past Cook, these guys are very mix and match. Uh, in fact, if I was going to do 50 drafts, I might start just varying them up randomly so I don't get too heavy on one guy who's going to wreck my season. All of these guys are good options, okay? So 
top two receivers, top th- top 13 running backs, which takes us to 16 and 17 overall on my board, which is Kelsey and Kittle. Kelsey and Kittle, I think Kittle in particular, these are viable first-round picks if you want to go there. I mean, I don't have a problem with it. The only reason I don't have them ranked there it really is because I'm just not looking to take tight end early if I can avoid it. But these guys are good enough where you could go that way. I, I In general, I think I'd rather take a tight end early than a receiver because I know where I want to hammer receiver in the draft, whereas tight end is a little bit more hunt and peck. Um, overall, though, really running back is what I want to do. I really want to come out of the first two rounds with two running backs if I can do it. Um, and the reason is very simple. It just sets you up to be able to take you know, the best player on the board most of the time they're available throughout the rest of the draft. And you know, I think some people might be saying, well, okay, but I don't want to compromise in the first two rounds, so I don't have to compromise in the later. Well, look, if you're making a major compromise, then yeah. Okay, which means which which leads me to sort of the first thing I want to talk about, um, which is pivoting. Okay. So I basically just told you what I think of the first round. I want to go running back. I am going to go running back most of the time. Here's the one little wrinkle. Because again, my running backs go on the board until 15. If you assume that Thomas and Adams are going to go between, say, 8 and 14, right? Like, I think it's almost a lot that those two guys go in that area, which is going to push two of the top 13 running backs to the 14th and the 15th slot, right? Not to mention, a lot of time you're seeing Mahomes and Lamar Jackson go early second round. You're seeing the tight ends go. Some people are taking Julio and Tyreek early. And I said, hey, I don't think it's crazy. But, you know, the running the running backs I like are going to get to me at that 15 spot. There's almost no way around it. Oftentimes, they're going to get to 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, depending on what happens. And again, I do have two place... Not, I have two other running backs that are there for me if I need to go running back mid to late second. They're Connor and Jacobs. They're just a tick off of the other group of guys. I'm very comfortable going with one of those guys in the second round. Okay, so let's let's get into the second round. Because the first round for me is going to be running back... Oh, sorry. Almost dropped the point there. Thomas and Adams. If I make a decision, for whatever reason, that I'm going to split, I will probably end up taking the receiver first, okay? Again, if I decide that I'm going to split, maybe it's a 10-team league and I think the running backs that I like are going to make it to the third, right? Because now, because in a 10-team tw- league, 20 is the end of the second. By the time you get to 24, you're almost halfway through the third. So guys who are going at the turn are now like in the middle of the third. So in a league where I'm projecting myself to be able to get Connor, Jacobs, or somebody like that in the third round... I may decide to to change the order up, um, you know, in, in the second round. You, you sort, you know, the, you, you have to think that way. Um, now, like I said, most of the time, what I want to do is bang out a pair of running backs, and that's probably what I'm going to what I'm going to be doing in most of my twelve team leagues. Okay, um, and I like doing it in non twelve teamers as well. Remember, in a ten, the other the other side of the coin that I was just talking about in a ten team draft, in the middle of the third, there's just going to be great players there no matter what, right? When you get in the middle of the third round, you're talking about picks like twenty five and twenty six in a ten team draft. Well, no matter what your league mates do, the players at twenty five twenty six are going to be really really good, whether they're running back or receiver. Um, 
So I, I'm, you know, there's not anywhere near as much fear in a 12-teamer, in a 10-teamer as there are in a 12. Um, so sticking with the 12, if I decide to go receiver, probably it'll be in the first round. And the reason is I want to take the, uh, the receiver I want there. I don't want to take the running back that's really the, ranked the same as the running back I'll be taking in the, second, in the second round and then hope my receiver gets to me. Screw it. I'll just take the receiver and take the running back that gets to me. It's just It just makes more sense. Um, that said, most of the time I'm going to lean in and take a back. Now, when we're in the second round and I decide to take a receiver, why would I do that? Okay, the reason is somehow all of my back targets are snatched up. So maybe I'm mid to late second round. I took a running back in the first. All the top 15 backs are gone. So in addition to, you know, Jones, Drake, Sanders, Eckler, Chubb, Mixon, Connor and Jacobs are both gone off my board. So at that point, what I've seen a lot of people doing is taking Le'Veon Bell, taking Todd Gurley, taking Melvin Gordon, taking Chris Carson. That one was popular. I'm not going to do that in the second round. I'm, I'm not going to take a player that I'm hoping to avoid in the third, in the second, out of need. That's when you really start hurting your team, when you start making need picks, when, when you've got floor players available, floor players who also have ceilings. That's the whole point of taking elite players early is you're getting floor and ceiling, right? You don't want to take a problem guy in the second round. So when I'm coming up at the 20th overall pick and my top 15 running backs are off the board, well, what does that mean? That means either Kelsey or Kittle or Julio or Tyreek or DeAndre Hopkins is on the board, and I will pivot to those players. And then I will come back in the third, and I will look for a running back there, right? If I have to reach, I want to reach in the third, not the second. And here's the thing. I'm not reaching in the third either. <laughs> I'm going to then take, uh, you know, I may go best available, go stay away from running back, hope to fix that problem later, or I'll probably take like Jonathan Taylor, who I think is risky. Sure. I don't mind taking risks if there's upside to it, right? What I don't want to do is take Le'Veon Bell, who's probably just going to ruin my life. Right? Now, if I take Jonathan Taylor, the risk is you take a mediocre late two running back in the third round. Taylor could end up in a committee and give you medium two production through the season, and he could be a letdown. And you end up with what Lord Reeves was, uh, you know, sort of warning us about a couple weeks back, which is average running back play will kill you, particularly when you pay for it, right? But having said that, there's just too much that's good about Taylor. And for those of you who recall, Taylor was like my guy who I thought was going to be overrated. And, you know, in some ways he is, but the guy's a really good runner. He's a great pure runner, and he's on a team that drafted him to be a pure runner. That's what they want him to do. Will they find him in the passing game some? Sure. Can this guy catch? Yeah, he can catch. This guy, he doesn't have, he doesn't have clubs for hands. He's not a gifted receiver. He's not a gifted route runner. But if you, if you can find him in space, just get him the football, then he's a terror once he has it. Okay, and the scheme he's in will do that sometimes. So it's not going to surprise me if Taylor's making big plays in the pass game. What will surprise me if he's doing it at a high volume kind of level. But you know, him getting like 30 receptions, I think is 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 definitely possible, maybe more. Anyway, the reason I'm willing to pivot to him, especially if I need a, a second, well, actually, Taylor is a guy I'm targeting in the third, really. Um, 
because I'm trying to load up on running backs. It's something I'm doing. You know, I'll take him as my third or my second. Um, but you also have to be prepared for someone else to do that. Um, and then you need to be willing to like lean in and take a DJ Moore or a Thielen or a Beckham or an A-Rob. Or if you love Godwin, take Godwin. Um, what I really don't want to do there is be the guys reaching for the Melvin Gordons where we're not sure what the workload's going to look like. Or David Johnson, or we're not sure what he looks like running the football. Or Chris Carson, who's coming off a hip injury and who's a volume runner. I want to avoid those kinds of running backs early in the draft, you know, where I can be taking guys with huge ceilings. Now, we all sit there and talk about the issues with Jonathan Taylor, but the reason you're taking him is because of the possibilities. And what if he's just flat better than Marlon Mack? I mean, that's not a stretch, right? If he's the flat best early down runner, then he's probably going to have two-thirds of that gig sewn up by the end of September, early October. And if that happens, you could have your Jonathan Taylor could be performing like an early second rounder, late first rounder, and you got him in the third, and he's your third back. And guess what? If you took him in the third and you started building your receivers in the fourth round, you're going to be just fine. So there's a lot of ways you can do this. Um, but for me, robust RB early is just the safest way to go because it, it allows you to build your team from such a strong foundation. And it's so easy to build the other positions if you're doing it at the right time. So let's talk about this third round in terms of receivers and overall. Mark Andrews gets into this round sometimes, and I'm fine going after elite tight end, especially if I've already got two running backs in the hopper. If I've got two running backs in the hopper and maybe somebody takes Taylor, which leaves me Andrews, I'm okay with that. I've got two stud running backs. Now I've got an elite tight end, and I'm going to be able to build my receiver group really strong. I'll take my quarterback late. My team will look like a monster. Great. I'm down. And if I have to pivot to receiver in the third round because Andrews isn't there and the running backs I want aren't there, that's okay too because the third round receivers are so awesome. And again, if you started robust, it's not going to be a problem to go receiver in the third, right? So the third round for me is really strong with certain running backs, mostly if guys like Connor or Jacobs or Jonathan Taylor are there really strong with receiver and you guys all know the names and if one of the elite tight ends one of the top three on my board get into the third i'm willing to do it i really am so really running running back running back elite tight end running back running back borderline elite receiver running back running back potentially elite running back in the third any of those scenarios work for me what doesn't work for me is running back running back quarterback running back running back reach running back, running back, running back, buying, praying for volume running back. I'm, I really don't want to be compromising into that running back group in the second or third round. Now in the fourth, maybe. If I'm sitting there, if I split and went, and this is why I don't want to do this, if I went receiver, running back, receiver, then I might have to go running back in the fourth. Or I might have to commit to doing it in the fifth. And either way, getting my two back there could end up being sort of problematic. All right? Okay, so we've seen the third. We've seen the first, the second, and the third. Now let's talk about the fourth. Okay? And again, the, the particular players are not that important. All right? You get into the fourth round. This is where I will consider the two elite quarterbacks on my board. The only time I've gone quarterback before the sixth round this year was taking Lamar Jackson or Mahomes in the fourth round. I'll do it. It doesn't happen very much, but when it does, I'll consider it. 
apart from that, I very much just want to tap into anybody on my receiver board between receiver 14 and 23. That's really what I want to do. A.J. Brown, Metcalf, Shark, Schuster, Lockett, McLaurin, Cup, Woods, Sutton, Keenan Allen. I want one of those guys. I really am not going to get disappointed if it's the wrong one. For me, there are no wrong ones in that group. And I could roll those guys out like dice in my rankings. I would barely notice because I have all of them ranked so similarly. Just get me, if I can just get two of those guys, I'm going to be happy. Get me one in the fourth and one in the fifth, and I'm walking on a cloud because I probably have either two or three running backs already. And if I had, if I only have two, then my third player was either an elite receiver or an elite tight end. So I'm in great shape. Now, if we get into the fifth, let's move on to the fifth round here. If we get into the fifth, right, and one of those receivers isn't there, let's say all the receivers go which is certainly possible. On my board, that's how it happens because I rank guys as I like them, not by ADP. So now we're in the fifth round and the really elite receivers that we wanted are not there. That's where I start thinking, well, maybe I will roll the dice with Amari Cooper um, or maybe I'll just go with Devontae Parker and hope he stays healthy or T.Y. Hilton and hope he, they stay healthy. You know, if those guys play 16 games, they will perform up with that other group. And if I can't get those guys, maybe I'm thinking about going with one more running back, particularly if I don't have three. I'll consider the Mosterts and the Ingrams, okay? The other option would be to just take a, the next best guy on the receiver line. And you know what? The guys that you might take on my board, I think are worthy of it, like a Will Fuller or a Marquise Brown. Now, the problem I have with both of these guys is I think there is injury risk with both of them, particularly Fuller. And I'd like to get them in the sixth. But if things go bad, taking them in the fifth isn't going to kill me. That's fine. It's okay. So I'm going to take best available player on the Rotobon board that sort of fits my build. If it's a tight end premium league, then guys like Ingram and Waller, and certainly Ertz, if he happens to still be on the board, very much in play. If it's non-tight end premium, I would like to hold off on that. Now let's get into the sixth round, right? What would our builds look like in the sixth round? If you're going with my style, you probably have three backs and two receivers. Maybe you have two backs, an elite tight end, and two receivers. Maybe you have an you have two maybe you have two backs, an elite tight end, and an elite quarterback, or something like that. So if you've got quarterback, then you're not going to be looking at quarterbacks here, obviously. But, and if you've got a tight end, you're not going to be looking at tight ends here, obviously. Um, and it's really more of a problem for quarterbacks because what I really want to do in this round, and I love the sixth round, I've been getting good players in the sixth round consistently, and I think people who are taking great players in the sixth or you know heavy picks in the sixth versus having to reach in, a six, in the sixth, it's a big pivot point where rosters start separating. You want to be one of the guys who's not reaching in the sixth. If you are, then you're probably pulling ahead of your league. So in the sixth round, for me, it's the running backs that slip. Hopefully, this is where I really want to get these rookie running backs is in the sixth. So Akers and Dobbins and Swift, all those guys to me, very much viable. If a Mark Ingram gets into the sixth, if a Mostert gets into the sixth, and now even Le'Veon Bell and those guys, if it's in the sixth, what the hell, I'm in. Kareem Hunt, I think, is a great pick in the sixth. I think Hunt, Hunt is a pick for me there, especially if I only have two running backs. 
Not so much if I only have one because I have to probably take a guy who's going to have an early season workload. But if I can get Hunt as my third or fourth back, I'm pretty happy with that because now he's got a chance to become great if Chubb gets hurt and step up and become a guy who performs at a level of like mid to high first round. So, you know, Kareem Hunt, if you have the confidence to do it in your team building, I applaud him as a pick. I think he's viable in the fifth as well. Um, the one thing about drafting Kareem Hunt, I think the worst, the worse your league is, the smarter of a pick it is in some ways, because if you have confidence that you're that you can overcome, you know, because he's a reach for floor, but he's a steal at ceiling, so he's sort of a weird player. If you can make that reach floor pick, put Kareem Hunt on your bench and have no problem filling out a great lineup, then it's a great pick. The other reason to do it is simple, the potential differentiation. But, you know, to me, Kareem Hunt is, the more you know what you're doing, the better of a pick it is. If you lack confidence in, in your drafting skills, if you feel like you're in a really tough draft room, then Kareem Hunt might be a long putt, might not be the way to go. Personally, I like doing it. However, I also love these quarterbacks. Kyler, Dak, Wilson, Deshaun. In the sixth round, I am down with those guys. The only thing is, it's just not my top priority. My top priority is going to be if somebody from that fifth round group is slipping, right? If Cam Akers is there, I'm taking Cam Akers. If one of these elite running backs is there, I'm probably going to take him unless I'm already so heavy at the position that it doesn't make sense. But the the, the first pivot for me after guys I have ranking in the 5th and 4th slipping into the 6th. My next thing is these quarterbacks and Kareem Hunt, depending on my build. Okay? Now, if you get shut out on all of this stuff, and by the way, when I talk about these guys that I have ranked in the 5th, these guys who slip, usually it's going to be one of the young running backs or Marquise Brown or Fuller. I've gotten a ton of Hollywood and Fuller in the 6th and a fair amount of Fuller in the 7th. Now that is slowly changing. Fuller is definitely rising up boards. I don't know if that's going to work next week, but it's been working for what it's worth. Okay, so the seventh round. Now the seventh round is in a 12-team league, picks 73 to 84. So just, you know, for those of you who are new, you don't want to think that you're taking the guys on my board from 73 to 84 in the seventh round. Ideally, those guys are getting got, gotten later, right? What I want to do in the seventh round, if at all possible, is I want to get the guys who are slipping from guys who are in the 50s and 60s on my rankings, right? Um, when I get into that seventh round, usually I'm getting Tyler Boyd, Jarvis Landry, um, you know, maybe a slipping running back. Um, but what I'm not doing is dipping into my tight ends in the seventh and going early uh, because they might be the guys that sort of like show up on my board at that point. I'm looking for the people who've been slipping through the cracks. Um, now, if for some reason my ranking and ADP line up perfectly and I have to take, you know, um, you know, AJ Green in the seventh or Gallup in the seventh or one of the tight ends or Matt Breida, I mean, that's okay. Um, I, I will be honest, though, there's almost no way I'm taking um, a quarterback in the seventh unless it's somebody that I would normally target in the sixth. So if things sort of get weird and I'm not loving this draft, I'm not going to panic and take Josh Allen or Wentz early. Uh-uh. No way. Okay. When you get in there in that seventh round, if, no matter what part of it you're in, 
you should be able to find a value. By this time, players are slipping. ADP is sort of losing its hold a little bit. You should be able to find a slipping player in the best round. Seventh is definitely just my my BAP, best available player. Um, the only time I wouldn't do that, you'd have to be really extreme. Like for some reason, I've gone so robust, robust RB uh, that I can't take another one or something like that. The odds on that are pretty low, though. Generally speaking, and I, you know, I talk about this. I like to as much as possible build in balance. Now, sometimes the best available player will knock you a little out of balance, but for me, again, usually I'm going to be you know, three and three after six, three running backs, three receivers. So in the seventh, I should be able to go running back or receiver. Or if one of those QBs slips into the seventh, I can take a QB, right? Or if something drastic is happening, like no one's drafting Zach Ertz for some reason, I could go tight end. But it has to be a slipping tight end, not a guy I'm jumping up for, right? So seventh round is all about value. You want to be making a hard pick or a heavy pick, excuse me. And I've said this so many times in the show, but I believe in making as many heavy picks as you can make. So basically the first time you have to reach is your first pick that's not going to be heavy. So a, vo- a, a seventh round pick where you don't have to reach, and if you haven't reached yet, that means you're just in great shape. And now coming back in the eighth, you can start thinking about, okay, things are starting to thin out now. The really good stuff is, you know, it's it's getting a little bit more... You know, everybody's looking at a broader spectrum of players now. This is where you can start thinking about, all right, is it a good time to take a quarterback? You know, if Allen or Wentz is on the board here, I might go that way. Um, you know, if if I'm really happy with my team, maybe I'll take uh, a Hawkinson or a Higby. The, the thing with Hawkinson is, you know, unless you're me, if you don't have like if you don't want Hawkinson as bad as I do, um, you can probably push Hawkinson another round or two and still get him. Okay, Um, whereas Allen and Wentz, probably it's not going to happen that way. Um, And by the way, in the eighth round, if you just like the seventh, if I'm getting slipping talent from those earlier rounds, I'm not just going to be some machine and take a tight end or quarterback in the eighth just because it fits my plan. I will adapt. Right. Um, If I'm heavy on running backs, I might take a receiver I have ranked in that area, a Gallup, an A.J. Green, um, a Christian Kirk. Uh, a Marvin Jones, uh, a Stefan Diggs, that would be great. Or Landry, if somehow he's still on the board. I've gotten Landry in the eighth. Be prepared to be flexible for falling value. I'll just push my quarterback to the ninth. No problem. I might lose Allen and Wentz. I'll just take Cam. If I lose Cam, I'll wait another round or two and I'll take Burrow. And if I lose Burrow, okay, I end up with freaking Roethlisberger or something. Quarterback's going to work out one way or the other. The longer you can keep taking these really good players who you can always put in your lineup regardless of matchup, the better. So I may start going single position in the 8th. I may get a great player in the 8th, push single position to ninth. right? If that happens, I might go tight end quarterback or quarterback tight end starting in the ninth. That brings me to the 10th, right? So that pushes us to the 11th when I start, ta- when I start taking swings at upside, right? If I take my quarterback in the eighth and my tight end in the ninth then by the tenth round i'm focused pretty much solely on upside right that's sort of the plan um now the players that i'm focusing on again i'm not really i mean my rankings are there for you guys all to see they change every day i'm moving up i'm fine-tuning i'm taking guys with injuries pump you know moving them down um 
so watch the board, keep your eyes on it. Um, for those who haven't figured this out yet, and I'll, I will put a little notation um, in the Rotobon 500, but what I'm doing now is I'm not taking out old takes. I'm leaving the takes that I wrote going in uh, to preseason, and when I'm moving a player, what I'm trying to do is I'm using you know, the, the three stars and putting in updates. So if you're wondering who's been updated, if you go to the search box and you just put in, you know, um, you know, three stars, you know, shift star, um, you know, the little thing on top of the eight. <laughs> um, if you put in a couple of those, all the guys where I've updated their skinny, they'll come up and you'll be able to look at the guys who've been updated. So it's just a little trick. Um, so, you know, lots of good targets um, in the eighth round. Uh, we talked about some of them. Um, I think at this point, I'll, I'll, cons I'll consider a guy like Singletary. Uh, I'll consider the guy he's competing with, Zach Moss. Very willing to consider a Matt Breida in there. Um, you know, if the Patriots were to declare Damian Harris their starter, I would move him up into that area, maybe even higher. But at this point, I'm still sort of operating as Harris' most likely starter, but still plenty of other guys who could come in and mess that up. Uh, and Harris could mess it up himself. Um, but just, you know, while we're on the topic of Harris, for those of you who don't remember, I was really high on Harris coming out of Alabama. I liked him. He's a big back. He's got an all-around skill set. And I think that the... the, the the thing about him that people are underrating is he's got really good feet. He's got good feet. He's a good inside runner because he makes quick adjustments with his feet. Um, and he keeps his feet moving through contact. He's just a good, solid, you know, well-built running back who is taught to play the game correctly. Um, I think he'll probably do pretty well if the Pats give him a chance. But it's the Patriots and there's like a 97 running backs up there. So I'm sort of approaching him with caution, but I do like him. Um, okay, let's move on to the 10th round. I mean, and again, the ninth round is really the same basic group of players I'm looking at. It's just a function of what part of my team build am I in, right? If I wait to start my single position players plucking those guys, if I if I take another receiver or running back in the eighth, then I push that off to the ninth, and then I'm I'm looking at a lot of those guys in the ninth. Um, and if I take my court, if I take my tight end in the ninth then quarterback becomes a floater position. Probably I'll go in the 10th if I can still get an Allen or a Wentz or a Cam Newton or somebody I really like. But more than likely, I'll just sort of push it off and wait and continue taking these guys with upside. If I take a quarterback, then again, 11th round becomes the round where I start with upside. So let's move to that 11th round because it sort of gets, like to me, it sort of gets interesting. Um, I mean, that's where things get interesting is when I start getting into that second half of my draft. And again, I do mostly 18, 20-round drafts. Um, my favorite part is when I sort of pivot um, to the upside plays. Uh, and, you know, you're getting into that past 100 guys on the board. Um, the 10th round, I could, we could actually just sort of start um, in the 10th. And the 10th starts at player 109. So let's just talk about some guys from one because and again at this point I'm, there's no more round by round strategy um it's just every round i'm looking for the guys with the most upside right so from whether i'm drafting like 15 rounds or whether i'm drafting 20 my main focus from this point forward in the draft are guys who can smash guys who can move into the top 80 the top 60 but who i'm getting significantly later so first guy on my board the guy who's currently at 109 he probably won't be tonight he might move up one or down one but janu smith a guy not all fantasy football players really even know about Janu Smith, right? Um, but he's a guy who could break out into the elite tight ends this year. I don't know about 
him actually doing it. Elite might be a stretch, but I definitely think he could break into the top 10 and be a guy where it's like, oh yeah, Janu Smith, definitely a top 10 guy. He could be that. Uh, Mecole Hardman, next guy in the thing. Perfect example of a guy I love to roster for his upside. Can I use him as a flex? Yeah, probably. His role should be enough to use as a flex. But the reason I'm drafting him is because if there's one injury on that team to Watkins, I mean, gosh, how many times has Watkins been hurt? I have Watkins down just because I'm not willing to play the Watkins game anymore. Although Watkins himself is an upside swing, I suppose. He really is. Um, But if Hardman gets into that starting lineup where he's the one or the two receiver, Good Lord, he could be a monster. So I love getting him on my team for that potential. Paris Campbell, Darius Slate, same kind of thing. These guys aren't locks, but their upside's ridiculous, right? Um, You know, Boston Scott, one injury and he could be a monster. You know, Chris Herndon, getting a little dinged to practice, but if he plays full-time snaps, the Jets with all these hurt receivers, I mean, Herndon could be a guy with a tight end distinction, but he's basically just a big slot who's in there almost every play, certainly almost every passing play. Chris Herndon could sort of be a version of like uh, this year's Mark Andrews. A little bit different of a player. He's more of a ball skills catch point guy, but same basic paradigm. If the Jets are throwing, this guy's going to be on the field. So Herndon could be an interesting upside player. Brandon Ayuk with all these injuries in San Francisco. He could be an every down guy. Sterling Shepard. Now, I've been downgrading him because of the injury risk. I'm really worried about the head injuries, but he's ripping up camp, and it sounds like he's going to be the number one option. So if I can get him where I have him ranked, I love it. Now, most people would be taking Shepard you know, a couple rounds before this. Um, you know, Duke Johnson, in case there's injury, monster upside. Chase Edmonds, if an injury, monster upside. Same thing with Madison. LaVisca Chenault, a guy who's going to be moving up. I should have moved him up a little bit more off of the Fournette injury. This guy's now going to be getting some carries. He's going to be getting some, you know, de facto type carries, little swing passes, bubble screens, you know, things like that. LaVisca Chenault is probably... Well, I don't know about probably, but he has a really good chance to be on every single waiver wire that is written after week one is played. Antonio Gibson, not my favorite guy, but he's a lot of people's favorite guy. And I'm starting to, to feel with like all the stuff that's coming out of Washington that, hey, whether I love him or not, he's going to get a shot. Deshaun Jackson, we don't know how long it's going to last, but while he's on the field, he can give you you know, wide receiver weeks that are wide receiver one weeks. You know, he's your third receiver, but you're getting wide wide receiver one scoring. So there's a lot of upside. A lot of upside. Preston Williams, Justin Jefferson. You just go down the board, tons of these guys. Debo Samuel, if you can get him late enough in a deep league. I love it. So plenty of guys out there who can give you a lot of ceiling. Okay, And I am going to be doing an article later this week where I sort of go through the draft and highlight the guys with the most upside. So this isn't that podcast. But when we get to that point, once we've locked in the players that we really need to lock in, it just becomes an upside fest. Ceiling is the most important thing in your evaluation at this point. You are trying to get... Essentially, there are two categories that matter. You either are a player who I want on my team all the time, or you're not. If you're not, you're expendable. We want to we want to draft as many players as we can who we can move into that category. We want as many we want as many undroppables, uncuttables as we can get. And the beauty of taking high upside players is once you realize it's not happening, like oh this guy who I hoped was going to be a big factor clearly isn't for whatever reason, then you cut him and you cut him for the guy, the next guy with the most upside in the wire, and you keep doing it. 
you keep shuffling these guys in and out. And when they stick, you move them into that category, and now they're on your team forever. And you, you just keep playing that game until your team's so damn good, everybody's scared of it. I mean, that's how you win. Okay, what else can we talk about here? Well, how about kickers and defenses for a second? Um, I do my due diligence and I add all the defenses and the kickers and I put them in the mix. For short leagues, they're probably pushed too far down. My emphasis on is on the players uh, more so than team defenses and kickers. But look, sometimes they can be important. When it comes down to picking kickers, you want to pick one of the better ones, not one of the worst. Um, that is when you make the pick. You don't want to jump up rounds to take a better kicker. Um, so, you know, I, don't worry too much about where I have them ranked. You can always sort my rankings by position to very clearly see where I have the kickers ranked if you care. Um, my advice on kickers is just ask Denny Carter on Twitter what kicker you should take. <laughs> but um, seriously, um, you know, my, in a deep league with like 20 rounds or 22 rounds, I do not necessarily prescribe to you must take a kicker last. Uh, you know, um, because quite frankly, I get to a point where my rankings are so different than the rooms where it doesn't matter where I take my guys. No one's going to take them. So at that, when I get to that point, and this is about knowing the room and knowing your board, yeah, what the hell? I mean, uh, again, in a deep league, taking an elite kicker has more value because I have the bench space to deal with the bye week. On a short bench league, taking Justin Tucker is the biggest pain in the ass on the planet because some week in the season I'm going to have to carry two kickers or I'm going to have to cut Justin Tucker or I'm going to have to take a bagel if my league allows it. So you really have to sort of think through that stuff. I mean, I'm that, you know, that is sort of an option actually. Maybe just like if my league will let me leave my bye week guy in, just take Justin Tucker, use him every week and deal with the bye. But I mean, when you have a short bench league and you're into the point of the season where every, everything's been figured out, you know, having to make an extra cut and carry two kickers can be pretty painful. Um, so, you know, I in short bench leagues, kicker is the, the least priority, and it makes sense to make it the least priority. No matter what kicker I take, I don't want to have to hold him during the bye week. So just take your kicker last, shuffle around, keep getting guys with good matchups or who are running hot, whatever. Um, Defense is maybe a little bit different, but by and large it's the same. Um you know, same kind of thing. In a deep league, I may take a defense earlier. I mean, I may take a defense in the 16th or 17th round of a 20-round draft again. And now that's a unique thing to me because my board is comes very much from my scouting. There's not a lot of groupthink in my board, and usually my late-round targets are guys that other people don't want. So that gives me the luxury to jump up and take the kicker just, you know, a round or two early to get a guy I like. Again, this is a league where I've got 10 bench spots to play around with, right? So... Always remember the dynamics of your league, your bench, what the waiver wire is going to be like. Is it going to be strong? Is it going to be weak? Is your league a trading league or is it not a trading league? All that stuff really matters with your team build because, you know, if, my, if I'm in a league where there's trades every single week, overbuilding a position is, doesn't feel risky to me because I can always go to the market and balance myself out. But if I have to dump guys to balance my team out, well, that's no good at all, right? So again, understand your, your league dynamics um, because it'll have a lot to do with how you build your team. Now, if you're going my way and you're building a team my way and you put that core together and then you just start working for upside, right? And you've got a bench, 
you know, that's got, um, you know, a lot of the high upside guys that we like on it. You know, you've got guys like Chenault from certain rounds, and maybe you were lucky and C.D. Lamb fell to you, um, or Ruggs fell to you, something like that. You've got a lot of upside, upside guys in your bench. You've got a Boston Scott or, you know, Duke Johnson, Chase Edmonds, these kinds of guys. That's great. But, you know, our job is just beginning, right? We've now drafted effectively. Um, like I said last year, so many people get caught up in fantasy football with this binary mentality. You know, I either win or I lose. Like it's like it's a 50-50 proposition. And that's where people get into defensive strategies. They worry about floor too much, particularly in the second part of the draft. Much better to always think about upside. Always think of that path to the top spot. I am so not interested in being a middling team. I want to build a dominant team. I have found over a lot of experience, a lot of years of fantasy football, hundreds of leagues, that that mental attitude just serves me a whole lot better than playing it safe. Okay, so you know, try to keep that mentality. It's a good mentality to have. You want to go into a draft thinking I have a 1 in 12 chance or maybe a 1 in 10 chance depending on league size or 1 in 14 chance and what I want to do during this draft is I want to move that number. I want to walk out of this draft feeling like I've got a 1 in 3 chance or a 1 in 2, you know, or a 1 in 5. I want to I want to feel like I have better odds walking out than I had walking in. That's really to me the function of a draft and you don't do it by playing it safe. You really don't. Okay, now, having said all that, the draft is over. We improved our odds. We're walking out feeling strong. We're walking tall, chest out, head back. It's all good. Our job is still just beginning, okay? Because what we're going to find out over weeks one and two is that we fucked up. We did it in a couple spots. A couple of these upside guys, oh man, look, they're downside guys. It's not going to work out. They lost the job. They didn't get it. Um, Or, you know, that team is giving us vibes that this player isn't going to be heavily involved or the quarterback went down or, you know, all different kinds of things that are going to shift. And this is especially true for people who are drafting like today because there's going to be a lot of time between now and then or people who drafted two weeks ago or God forbid, like me, drafted a bunch of teams in July, right? So the first couple weeks of free agency should be madness and you want to embrace the madness. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to, you don't want to look at any of these players that you need to cut emotionally. They're just guys that didn't work out, and now we're going to replace them with guys who are moving in the right direction. And it happens every year. And the way I see it, when I'm looking at this board, I'm looking at a draft board that has got more interesting players after, you know, there are so many interesting players between 240 or 241, which is the first guy who doesn't get taken in a 12-team, 20-round draft, right? 240 players taken. From 240 to like 350, I've never seen so many compelling players. And when you see that, the one thing you can bet is that a lot of them are going to be jumping into the mix the first couple weeks. Guys who we thought maybe had a gig, they don't. Well, guess what? When they don't, someone else does. And that guy's going to move up. We will, I mean, folks, you go back and read my waiver wires from last year. I was telling folks, roster A.J. Brown. Get him now. A.J. Brown was out there for weeks, right? Now he's in the third round, right? So, First couple rounds of free agency, the the free agency after week one and then after week two in particular. And and it can, you know, some years are different, but you need to be active those weeks. You really do. It doesn't mean you need to blow all your fab, but you need to be aggressive. You need to make a lot of claims. You need to make sure you upgrade spots. It's really important every week for the first couple weeks to upgrade as much of your team as you can. 
Now, couple reasons. First of all, that's when the big shifts occur. So that's when you can make the big improvements. But additionally, I get a lot more benefit from a player, a good player that I acquire early in the season versus a guy who I require when I'm fighting for you know, when I'm fighting to get into the playoffs. I want the guy who's going to keep me out of the playoff fight. I want the guy who's going to help me get into the bye week discussion versus this five and six seed discussion, right? Always think about climbing over and up top. And if you're on top, think of ways to stay there. Always think about the top. Always. That I'm, that's, that's how you get there. So I guess the last thing I'm going to say is the one thing that I always sell out for at Rotobahn other than August I always sell out for those week one free agent runs. If you go and look at my website, I don't take anything down. If you want to go search for what our waiver wire looked like last year, weeks one, two, three, four, and five, I think you'll be impressed looking at it in retrospect. Um, if you go back and do it for 2018 or 17, I mean, it doesn't matter what year you look at. You can go on EEI and see my waiver wires from seven years ago. You can see Cam Newton's rookie year when everybody's like, guys, it's just one week. I was sitting there screaming, don't listen to these people. Pick up Cam Newton immediately. And, you know, really, I'm always going to try to give you that kind of clarity. I'm always going to say, think long term. Don't look at the shiny object. There will be a guy who has a big week one and everybody's going to be bidding on that guy. And I'm there's a good chance that I'm going to be sitting there going, yeah, you know what? Sure, that guy's a nice ad. But here are the guys where the snap rates really caught my eye. Here are the guys who I think could do this on a regular basis, not just week one. I'm always going to have my eye a few weeks down the road trying to stay ahead of the curve for you guys and you gals, whoever's whoever's reading my site. Um, so just know that the early waiver wires, I'm going to put the time in. And I don't even know the form that my waiver wires are going to take this year. Uh, for those of you who are normally reading my content, EEI, I'm not doing any writing for them this year. Probably I'll be back doing it next year, but, you know, it's it's a tough year <laughs> for uh, a lot of radio stations. So my written content's not going to be there. Um, and that's normally, you know, I, you know, one of my jobs that I got paid for was writing a waiver wire for them. So that's going to really, since I no longer have their, their editorial guidelines to guide me, I'm going to be able to rethink how I approach the waiver wire. I haven't figured out how I'm going to do it yet, uh, but I promise you there will be a waiver wire um, and there will be a waiver wire podcast. And you can bank that I'm going to be loaded for bear and I'm going to again, focus on what's important. Coach and I watch a lot of film week one and two. I mean, we always watch a lot of film, but we really dig in the first couple weeks to look for those things, you know, those little seeds that we think are going to grow. Um, so that stuff's coming. I strongly, strongly urge you to participate in it. Week one, two, and three free agency, even, and, and this is the last point I'm probably going to make here, but one thing that I see people doing that I really wish they wouldn't is like taking their foot off of the gas because they have a good start. Your team comes out and puts up 160 points. You win by you win by 70 points week one. Um, you got you like your matchups week two, and you don't participate in free agency because you're getting cocky. And then they you know you win second week and you you stay out of free agency again. You you know you're just sitting there being a fat cat. Do not do that. It, it, whether you are the team who got smoked week one or you're the team that everybody is envious of, it doesn't matter. Find your most cuttable player, know who he is, look at that wire, and target somebody with more upside, no matter what your position is. Week one, two, and three is about improving your roster no matter which roster you have. I, I, I cannot emphasize this enough. Okay, that's going to do it 
for the draft plan pod, which is really in some ways it was a summation of a lot of the stuff that was thrown into the uh, positional pods. For those of you who came late, you know, I heard from a couple of people, dude, there's no way I'm going to finish all these podcasts. So I threw this together to try to give you sort of a, like a one hour sprint if you couldn't watch all four of those things. Um, and then I threw in some extra stuff for those of you who are consuming everything. Uh, but that's going to do it. I'm psyched we got this in just under the wire in terms of it being an hour long. Um, I am going to post this bad boy. Then I'm going to get back into the 500. Going to update it for you guys tonight. Uh, and then I'm going to start working on um, one last article, which is really just going to be about those upside sleepers, where I'm targeting them, so on and so forth. Um, and then the very last thing I want to say, other than for those of you who can consider donating to the site, the donation button is on the homepage and it's at the bottom of every page. Um, and then the one other thing is on Friday night, unless something bad happens between now and then, I'm going to be doing a live show with the man bun and J Mike, the guys from the open bar. Um, we're going to get the fantasy Highland together with the open bar. We're going to enjoy some whiskey and we're going to go through the receivers and we're going to try to hit as many receivers as we possibly can on Friday night. So grab a glass, grab your rankings. Um, if you don't have a draft that night and uh, we're going to do our best to make you smarter until then onward, upward, crush those drafts, giddy up. Day.